introduction to the fruit of the Spirit. We looked at love last week. We looked at joy. And this morning we are going to look at this aspect of the fruit, which is peace. Something that I think every single one of us can relate to and identify. The longing for peace that we all have. And so I'm going to invite you to turn your Bibles. Or it's two quick uh, places that we're going to look at. So if you want to. Feel free to open up your Bibles and turn to Galatians 5, and we'll also look at John 14. But it's just short verses, so you feel free to just kind of uh, follow along on the screen uh, for us as, we, as I read the passage for us this morning. But we're going to look at Galatians 5, 22, 23, and then also John 14, 27. And John 14 is when Jesus uh, is with his disciples And he begins to share, before he goes to the cross, um, his heart for his disciples, but also for the world that he loves and the purpose of why he came. And so let me read Galatians 5, and then I'll jump to John 14. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things there is no law. And in John 14, verse 27, these are Jesus' words. Peace I leave with you. My peace I give to you. Not as the world gives do I give to you. Let not your hearts be troubled, neither let them be afraid. This is the word of the Lord. Let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, we come before you this morning and Lord, right now, even in this moment, I'm sure our hearts and our minds go to the things where it brings anxiety and worries and concerns. So, Lord, I pray that even in this moment, as we lay these things before you, that you would give us hearts and ears and eyes to be able to hear and see so that, Lord, we might be able to experience the peace that you have promised to us, as we've just read in John 14. That we do not need to be troubled, nor do we need to be afraid because of the peace that you give to us as followers of Jesus. We pray all of these things in Jesus' name. Amen. There's a phrase that I'm sure every single one of us have used at one time or another, and it's this word or this phrase. This is heaven. Right? You've all experienced it. Maybe not our younger kids, but... Maybe heaven is every day for our young children. But we've all experienced that pure bliss, that moment where you have unadulterated joy, where there's no concerns. And what you're experiencing in that moment, whether it's a restaurant, you're looking at good creation, uh, you, or you're, you're having a nice drink, or you're with someone that you love, and you're like, this is heaven, right? We've all had that moment, that momentary bliss. And peace in our hearts. Well, I had that not that long ago, uh, back in October of last year, when I got to go to New York. And I got to play at maybe a dream golf course that I thought I would never be able to play at, with what, which was Bethpage Black. I know many of you probably don't care or are not golfers. I have no idea what I'm talking about. But this is probably, arguably, the number one golf course in the entire United States. Number one public golf course in the United States. And it is one of the most difficult. But as soon as I stood outside and looked at hole one and at hole 18 
and you see just the beautiful landscape and the reality that I was going to play, I said, this is heaven. But it got better because at hole eight, which was a par three, meaning you have the opportunity to actually hit a hole in one with one swing. Now, I didn't hit a hole in one. Don't worry. <laughs> you heard about it the next week I got back to preach. <laughs> but I got so close to hitting a hole in one, it went right past the hole. But the beautiful thing was I birdied it, meaning I got it on the next putt. And not only did I say, this is heaven, I picked up my ball out of that cup and I said, I can die now. <laughs> I made a birdie at Bethpage Black. There's nothing greater. I mean, there probably is. But in that moment, I felt like there was nothing greater. And that was a kind of peace and awe and bliss that I experienced in that moment. Now, why do I share about this? It's not just a humble brag, <laughs> but there's a point in this, and it's that we all long for peace, don't we? We all long for peace, whether it's your workplace, whether it's your marriages, maybe it's the struggle and the, the hardship of dating, maybe for its children, you long for peace and your parents not nagging you all the time and telling you to clean your room and to pick up after yourself and to pick up your laundry and fold your laundry and do your homework and study and do why are you hanging out with your friends so late and having a curfew and you feel like, I want peace. Or we look at our global conflicts in the world, whether it's in the Gaza Strip or in Ukraine or in parts of Africa. And we long where there would be not only ceasefire, but peace, an end to war. Whether it's personal or global or universal, we long for peace in our lives. And especially the spiritual aspects of our relationships with our Lord. Whether it's a sin that's been going on for a long time, whether it impacts yourself or others around you. You struggled with a sin in your life and you feel like you're not growing and you long for that kind of shalom in your life. Well, peace is what we all long for whether you are a follower of Jesus or you're other than Christian. We all have this and it is universal. Well, one good definition from Neil Plantiga, I shared this when we looked at the Prince of Peace during our Advent series, but this is how he describes peace. In other words, shalom. Shalom is the webbing together of God, humans, and all creation in justice, fulfillment, and delight. We call it peace, but it means far more than mere peace of mind or a ceasefire between enemies. In the Bible, shalom means universal flourishing, wholeness, and delight. Shalom, in other words, is the way things ought to be. So it's not just the negation of bad things, but it's the positive of what life should actually be like. The way God created our world. And so as we look at this fruit of the Spirit of peace, I want us to just briefly look at three things. The story of peace, the promise of peace, and lastly, the making of peace. So first, the story of peace. Now, during our Advent series, we looked at the Prince of Peace, this royal name that was given for Jesus. And I referenced one of these beautiful imageries of what peace will look like, the way Neil Plantiga described it or defined it and it's from Isaiah 11 I just want you to listen to this beautiful imagery of what peace will be like the wolf shall dwell with the lamb 
and the leopard shall lie down with the young goat, and the calf and the lion and the fattened calf together, and a little child shall lead them. The cow and the bear shall graze together, their young shall lie down together, and the lion shall eat straw like the ox. The nursing child shall play over the hole of, of, the, of the cobra. From Isaiah 11, this is a picture where predators and prey are living in peace and in harmony. And I, as I was writing this and, and thinking through my sermon, you know what I thought of as I thought of Isaiah 11? I thought of my dog, Weller, that was right next to me. Now, where do dogs come from? They are direct descendants of the gray wolf. Direct descendants of the gray wolf. And their, their type is called a canine. Why? Because of their sharp canine teeth that could just kill and destroy and devour and just eat you up and devour you and cut you up. Right? <laughs> but yet, here is my dog, a descendant of the gray wolf lying next to me. My children playing with him with their face right next to his face. Where me as an alpha dog, he cowers when I yell at him and tell him what to do. I know the, this illustration has its shortcomings, but you get what I'm saying. There is this beautiful harmony and peace that exists. Even now a foretaste of what will be. But it's not just of what will be, it was. That is a story of peace. When God created the heavens and the earth, what happened? It was very good. What we just heard or described in Isaiah 11 was in Eden, was in the garden where man and woman experienced true peace with creation. No pollution, no violence, no conflicts, no brokenness, no shame, no guilt, no condemnation. It was as it ought to be, and it was. But we know how the story goes, right? We know how the story goes. Sin enters into our world because we wanted to be God. We rebelled, and now peace was shattered. Peace was broken. All that was ought was not. And everything we long for now was gone because of sin into our world. We're gray wolves destroy and kill and eat where we fight with one another where we post horrible things on twitter or formerly known as twitter x or instagram or facebook and we go at each other wanting to devour and kill one another creation is groaning because it is not the way it's supposed to be and we now have entered into a season or a place where things are broken and there is conflict and violence and war and division. You could then argue that why Jesus came into this world was for the sole purpose of peace. You could argue that, that the mission of God was for peace. You don't believe me? Think about this in Romans 5.1. Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. For if while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of his son. In Colossians 1, 
For in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell, and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of his cross. What you just heard is that the purpose and mission of God since sin entered our world was that the purpose and mission was for him to establish peace once and for all again. And how? By the blood of the cross. Through Jesus' sacrifice. Through his body being beaten. By him taking on our sin and our brokenness and our shame and giving us his righteousness we can now begin to experience the peace that God has promised. In other words, because of the victory of Jesus on the cross, now the mission that God began bringing peace and restoring peace again continues till the day Jesus comes back. This is the mission of God. That is why even now as we think about the different ways of how we part, play a part of that, we'll look at that in point three of this peacemaking. But first we have to see this promise of peace. What is it for us? And it's this internal peace that I want us to think about. The promise of peace is this inner peace that God gives to us. It's this steadiness that no matter the circumstances in your life, no matter the hardships that we go through, because of what Jesus did on the cross, because of his victory, that he overcame death and evil, no matter what we go through in our lives, we can actually be steady and experience the peace of God no matter the turbulence, no matter the tragedies, no matter death, no matter grief that we experience. We can have the steadiness internally because of what Jesus has done for you and for me. Meaning, all the demands that your family gives to you that you have to manage, the stresses and the pressures at work, the strained relationships in your dating or in your marriage, even abusive ones, the anxieties that you face, multiplied by social media and the internet and emails and, and all that we have to juggle and wrestle with and the invasion of all those things. There's a steadiness that Jesus has promised to you and to me. Remember when Jesus was in the boat with his disciples in Mark chapter 4? There was a crazy storm going on, but what was Jesus doing in that boat? He was sleeping. And what were the disciples doing? They were freaking out. They were scared for their lives. And they were actually mad at who? Jesus. It's like, Jesus, you don't care? We're in this boat, and we're going to die because this storm is going to kill us, and you're sleeping, and you don't care about us? And what does Jesus do? He gets up, and he speaks to the winds and to the waves, and he says, peace, be still. I think that's a beautiful picture for us as we think about steadiness, as we think about the promise of inner peace that he gives to us as one of the aspects of the fruit of the Spirit. That Jesus is with us. He's conquered everything. Our worst enemy he has done. And so no matter what you experience here on this earth, we can have a peace because Christ is in the boat with us. No matter what you see outside, no matter the hardships that you go through, because of what Christ has done for you, we can experience a peace, a steadiness in our hearts because of Jesus. I think we need to remember that each and every single day 
through the demands and the frustrations and anxieties and the worries and the concerns that we go through. Because Jesus is in the boat, because he's in our hearts, because we have the fruit of the Spirit that includes peace, we can be steady and trust that he is for us, that he keeps his promises, that he is good, he is our victor. That's why we can be steady and have a peace. But it brings us to, brings us to the last point. It's the making of peace. If the mission of God is to bring peace through Christ's work and death on the cross, to reconcile all things to himself, right, from Colossians, that means we have been invited into that work as well. God has invited you as followers of Jesus to be peacemakers. Isn't that what Jesus said in the Beatitudes? In Matthew 5, he said, Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons and daughters of God. This is our opportunity to live out what we believe, that as we experience the inner peace, albeit not perfectly, we can now extend peace to others. And we do that as a community. We do that together. Every time peace is talked about in the New Testament, especially in Paul's epistles, he's talking to the church. Let me just give you some examples. Colossians 3, 15. Let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, since as members of one body, what we just experienced today, as joining and receiving new members, as, since as members of one body, you were called to peace. We do that together as the body of Christ. In 2 Corinthians 13, strive for full restoration. Encourage one another. Be of one mind. Live in peace. And the God of love and peace will be with you. And then in Ephesians 4, or Romans 12, if it is possible, as far as it depends on you all, live at peace with everyone. God has called us to live in peace to others because of what Christ has done for us and we are called to extend that to others. Now, what does that actually look like? Well, I want us to think about, and this is homework for you. Where, what spheres or institutions has God called you to? Maybe it's the medical field. Maybe it's technology, education. Maybe for our students, it's your high school or your colleges or your elementary schools. That's where God has called you right now. For others of us, it's, it's marriage and raising a family. For others of us, it's living out an ethic as you date, to date well and hold relationships well. Where are the institutions and spheres of life God has called you to? Because I bet you, and I ran through this last night, Whatever sphere God has called you to, people in this world have tried to be able to bring peace and restoration. What we would call heaven. This is heaven. This is my utopia. And in each of those institutions, education, medicine, um, technology, higher ed, politics, law, it has failed, hasn't it? Trying to create a utopia, a heaven where peace exists has completely failed in our society, in our cultural moment. And so as we think about being peacemakers, what I think this is calling us to do is in baby steps, little things, how do we begin to bring the peace of Christ to others? So I think about one very personal one is 
our marriages. When more and more people, or less and less people are getting married. When people are very cynical about marriages. The high rate of divorce. The complaining we hear from husbands and wives about how marriage is so difficult, don't get married. We have a moment as a church community to be able to partake in a second Saturday, to be able to know what it means to communicate well with one another, to live in harmony, to live as a married couple as it ought to be, as Jesus has called us to, as he gives us the grace to, as he gives us the mercy to. I think about us who are in the medical field, and the hardships and the frustrations and the cynicism that we have about how much that landscape has changed. What does it look like to be able to bring peace and be a peacemaker in those areas? I don't have the answers for you. But in your small groups, community groups, as you talk outside of our Sunday services, what does peace look like in extending that peace for one another? To be able to see healing begin to happen little by little. It's just little things that make a difference in the lives of others. I read as I was reading through different commentaries, I'll close here, but Kathy Kane, she's a theologian, a writer, an author, but this is, what she, this is how she summed up shalom or peace. And I want to read this, uh, read this for you as we close. Shalom is the act of saying, come, Lord Jesus. Shalom is the prayer, your will be done on earth as in heaven. Shalom is seeing the world as it is and envisioning what it could be. And shalom is rolling up our sleeves and getting to work. May that be our desire as, G as God has invited us into this mission that we would be peacemakers rather than peace fakers or peace breakers. Let's pray. I'm going to pray from St. Francis of Assisi and make this our prayer as we close this morning and as we come to the table. Lord, make us an instrument of thy peace. Where there is hatred, let us sow love. Where there is injury, pardon. Where there is doubt, faith. Where there is despair, hope. Where there is darkness, light. And where there is sadness, joy. O oh, divine master, grant that we may not so much seek to be consoled as to console, to be understood as to understand, to be loved as to love. For it is in giving that we receive, it is in pardoning that we are pardoned, and it is in dying that we are born to eternal life. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.